Blog Talk Radio. Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with John Harlow as we bring you another great episode of Talking in Circles. We're going to break down the save, Toyota Save Mark 350 from Sonoma Raceway, where Tony Stewart won his 49th career NASCAR Spring Cup Series race in his first since June of 2013. We also talk about Matt Kenseth and the deal with D-Wall, the D-Wall sponsorship today. What does that mean for Kenseth? What does that mean for Joe Gibbs Racing? Sonoma, their ratings, the ratings were up from Michigan. A pretty good uh, amount, not a ton, obviously, but uh, a pretty good amount. What does that mean? Should we see more sh- uh, road courses? Should we see road courses in the chase? We'll discuss that. Brian Francis' comment on Fox before Sonoma. We'll talk about that. Who's the next driver to win who hasn't won this year? Um, and then Christopher Bell went in the driving for lineman 200 at Gateway Motorsports Park. And, of course, we'll break down a fight between, well, we'll talk about the fight between John West Townley and Spencer Gallagher. Also, Matt Tift. Out indefinitely. We'll, we'll discuss that little bit of news as well, and we'll take your phone calls at nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. But John, the big news of the week was Tony Stewart, a guy who a lot of people had written off. He had a really really bad year last year. Uh, got off to obviously the the, the, the situation uh, where he broke his back earlier this year, missed a substantial amount of time. Comes back. I think a lot of people weren't really expecting Tony to win a race. But here he goes out there, gets a lucky break by a caution flag that gets him in the track position, but runs his rear end off. It was a classic battle between him and Denny Hamlin at the end of that race. Uh, your thoughts on the Toyota Save Mark 350 and Tony Stewart's 49th career in NASCAR Sprint Cup Series win? Stewart won? Really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't hear anything about said thing. Um, I think it was set up Friday. Uh, Stewart was running well. Um and then McMurray, and then, I mean, he's going into turn 11. There's three other cars blocking his path. He has to smoke the brakes going in there. Then he goes into turn 11 a different time, and McMurray's going to do a mock qualifying lap and ends up cutting Stewart off. And he was not a happy camper when he faced the media between practices on Friday. He said he wants to go run something that's fun. He wants to go do something he enjoys, and sprint cup racing is not enjoyable to him. 48 hours later, he loved everybody. There was nothing that Tony Stewart didn't love. But the thing is, as you watch it, if you get Stewart where he can sniff a win, you're not going to beat him. You saw Denny Hamlin. He made the mistake by driving in the rearview mirror going into turn 11 because he figured he tapped Stewart going into 7. Stewart was going to tap him going into 11. He basically figured he spun. He was going to get spun out. So Hamlin missed the turn. But it was great. It was a great run, great strategy by Mike Bugger-Ravage. Um, all in all, it, it was a great day for Stewart Haas Racing. They've got Harvick and Bush 1-2 in points. They've got Stewart nine points out from being qualified for the chase. And Danica was actually a respectable part of the day, too. So, I mean, it was a really good day for Stuart Haas Racing and an unbelievable day for Tony Stewart. It was, and it was a classic battle, John. It's one of those that we've seen a lot here recently. Remember the Brad Keselowski and Marcus Ambrose battle they had a few years ago? Um, 
And we've seen a lot at these road courses recently where these races have been so, have been really entertaining, and, and that was the same case here on Sonoma uh, on Sunday. It was a classic battle. Um, do you think any one of these drivers pushed the limits too hard? Do you think it was dirty racing at all, or do you think it was just two drivers trying to win a race? I mean, a lot of people, John, um, and I'm not included in this, but it was out there on social media, thought Kenny Hamlin, because he was a former teammate of Stewart, Stewart's in his last year, and because he roughed up Stewart, earlier in the lap, kind of gave Tony Stewart the win on the inside. What were your thoughts on on, the, on those comments there on social media? Um, it's, I almost go back to something Stewart said in Vic, uh, whenever he was in the media center afterwards. Everybody chirps on social media. Stewart's washed up, Stewart to Stewart that, but then whenever they're face-to-face with him, nobody says a word. Um, it's almost like beer muscles behind a, behind a keyboard. I think Denny Hamlin overshot the turn because he was waiting for Stewart to throw the bumper to him. And Hamlin made the mistake. Stewart didn't have to throw the bumper to him. He threw a door to him, but he didn't have to throw a bumper to him to knock him out of the way. And I I was wondering, whenever it was happening, I'm like, okay, Stewart is this close to getting in the chase. He will throw the bumper to him. But would NASCAR do the same thing they did to... Uh, Ricky Rudd back in the day whenever they gave the win to Davey Allison because Rudd punted him out of the way on turn 11 on the white flag lap. So that's that was something I was wondering what they were going to do. But, I mean, there's no way Denny Hamlin would just give up a race. I mean, FedEx is paying too much money to have their team in victory lane. Joe Gibbs racing. I mean, everybody needs the money because NASCAR is a dollars and cents driven sport. Absolutely. And I think an, another deal is, you know, Denny Hamlin's trying to win a championship. And you can say what you want about Tony Stewart not being a guy who um, maybe his best years are behind him, if, if people believe that. And there's been, you know, last year was a really concerning year because I think the, the rule package uh, really didn't play in Tony Stewart's favor. And it's starting to get towards that this year. I think they're starting to get more towards what Tony Stewart prefers in his race cars with these rule packages, with this rule package. And he hasn't been as dominant. He hasn't run nearly as good, but he's been okay. He's been much better than where he was a year ago. So I think a lot of people are looking at him saying, is Tony Stewart really relevant to win a championship? I think he is. I mean, he listen, when, when he won the championship for the third time, you know, he wasn't a favorite going into that championship, that chase round. And he won, went out and won five races and beat Carl Edwards by uh, winning at Homestead that year. That was dramatic. But nobody had Tony Stewart win a championship that year. And he proved that, you know what, they had the cars that they were building that were great and went out there and won it. So, you know, to me, if Hamlin's going to give that up, it doesn't make much sense because you're going to have to, he's going to have to run against Tony Stewart, who's a three-time champion, in this chase and beat him for the championship. So it doesn't make much sense from that standpoint as well. There's only two drivers in the Cup Series with multiple championships right now that are active, Jimmy Johnson and Tony Stewart. And you saw what happened Sunday. If Stewart can sniff the checkered flag he's going to get there. It was like he willed that team to win the 2011 championship. He came from the back to the front three different times, and Tony's dad was on with Claire B. on um, Sirius XM this week, and he said of all the races he's ever seen Tony run, the 2011 Homestead race, Tony willed that car to victory. Tony drove that thing better than he's ever seen anybody drive a car. Give Tony a chance. Tony is one of those guys who you give it to, you give him you give him a crack 
he's one of those guys. So you say there's a chance. He's got a chance. He got. He, he needs nine more points. And the thing is, look back to last year. Kyle Busch missed how many races? His first win, Sonoma. And then he won three other ones during the summer. Tony Stewart loves the Brickyard. Tony Stewart did the tire test at the Brickyard. Tony Stewart wanted a road course. They're running again at the Glen. Tony Stewart was very competitive at Michigan. They got to go to Michigan again. Tony Stewart was very very competitive at Pocono until he made until he got uh, Arrow loose out there. But Tony Stewart's got to go back to Pocono. Plus, Richmond's his favorite track. He's got a chance to win several races before we get there. And you can I can promise you one thing. Darlington is circled on Tony Stewart's calendar because that's the one big thing he has a chance to win that he never has won at. So it's a very good point. And again, you know, I just think if you give Tony Stewart the opportunity there, he can get hot here quick. You know, we've seen it before. It's not like this is some slump of a driver who, you know, got lucky and won one race. This is a guy who's done it before in the past uh, and is a very good driver even to this day. And I think, um, you know, he's not getting out because he can't do this anymore. He's getting out because he doesn't want to do this anymore, which was his his comments were on Friday. Um, you know, a couple of other great runs for sure were, uh, you know, you, you talked about uh, Stuart Haas racing, but Joe Gibbs racing really ran good. Denny Hamlin ran a great race, led 33 laps. Carl Edwards was, led 24 laps, finished fourth. Uh, Truex was up there, finished fifth. So good weekend for them, Kyle Busch in seventh as well. Um, you know, and... Right now, John, Stewart is nine points back from 30th. I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind Stewart's going to make the top 30 in points. And I think that it's going to be very interesting because now you start to get to a point in this chase where now we have a driver who not, not a lot of people, I don't think, saw getting into the chase. I think there was you know, the, the conception that, yeah, he might do it, but now he's here and it's a reality. And you're going to have to start looking at a guy like Casey Kane. Dale Earnhardt Jr., A.J. Allmendinger, guys who have been in this chase all year, and now you're sitting there going a couple of bad weekends for these guys, and they lose some points, and they fall out of the top 16, they could be in trouble because Chase Elliott still doesn't want to race. So this weekend at Daytona coming up, especially for Dale Earnhardt Jr., who's crashed twice at the Super Speedway track with both Super Speedway races this year, uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what this Super Speedway race does, how these guys handle it, because Stewart throws a big wrench into that chase thing. Uh, you're going to need a little bit more than points here to get into the chase. There's another big monkey wrench out there. Kyle Larson's been running great this summer. He's sitting back there 20th in points. Kyle Larson wins a race. There's another spot taken away from someone who doesn't sit there in the top 16. Plus, like you said, Junior hasn't won a race yet this year. He's the only one who was in the chase last year who won a race. It hasn't won yet this year. I think it has a lot of chance, a big chance at just totally throwing a monkey wrench in this summer. There's a shot. We could have 17 cars who've won races, and Tony may be on the odd man out. But that's what I mean. Tony's not going to just sit there and say, okay, I've hit 30th. Let's uh, experiment for the chase. He's going to try to get a second win because that's the tiebreaker. He may be 28th in points at the end of the year, but if he's got two wins, he gets in over the guy who's 14th with one. Yeah, and – you know, Jamie McMurray's a contender to win this weekend at, at Daytona. I don't know if we've seen enough from that one team yet to 
to consider them contenders to win everywhere else. But they, they told him McMurray's done before. He's a very good plate racer. They're going to have the horsepower through. Ryan Blaney's uh, a contender this weekend as well. Trevor Bain might even be a contender this weekend. He ran really, really good at Talladega. He's a former Daytona 500 champion. Yeah, it was a different rule package. But he might be able to sneak into a win. So there's a lot of guys out there who could throw a wrench into there. Greg Biffle could win this weekend at, at Daytona as well. So um, a lot of guys out there who could definitely – Casey Mears is another guy who – uh, it's always has a pretty good track record on these super speedway tracks. He could get up there, and you never know with these plate races. They, Eric Amarola won it two years ago to get into the chase. He could do it again this year. So uh, this is a big weekend coming up for Daytona. That's what makes it so interesting and uh, really throws a loop in, into the chase picture as we move forward here on Talking in Circles. And even in this 2016 season, um, John, you're a, a Tony Stewart fan. Is this the biggest win of his career so far? I mean, it could be his last. You know, he's got 49. It's going to be interesting to see if he gets to 50. But you, you've been following his career since he come in. Is it, Do you think this is the biggest win of his career? No. Not even close. The 2011 championship run at Homestead, without a doubt, was the biggest win of his career because he had to win that race to win the championship. And he wound up tying Carl Edwards on points and winning on how many wins he had. That was the biggest and probably the best race I've ever seen him drive. Does this race rank in the top five? Probably because of the last three years and every black cat and dark cloud that's come over Tony Stewart's head. Tony Stewart is a momentum guy. If he's running well, he gets it gets infectious. The team's the team's always believed in him, and he even said it in his thing. He said, there's times I've probably given up on me, but the team hasn't given up on me. And he wanted to win for his team. He wanted to win for his fans who stuck with him through the broken leg in the sprint car, that stuck with him through the Kevin Ward tragedy, that stuck with him through the sand rail accident this, I mean, this January. He wanted to win this for the fans. And now that 49's there, you know 50 is sitting there. He's staring that in the face, and he will, he'd wreck A.J. Foyt to witness 50th race. 917-889-8280. If you want to join the show on Talking in Circles, talking about anything, you want to talk about Dave Tony, you want to talk about Tony Stewart at Sonoma, anything from the last couple of days, we will discuss that here on Talking in Circles. It was a great race, John. I thought it was very entertaining. I'm not a big guy. I've said this before, and I'll stick to it. I'm not a big road course guy. I think road courses are a little overrated in my opinion. But there was no doubt this race was very entertaining, and the ratings backed that up. And we've seen steady declines. And it got a 2.4 this weekend, which isn't phenomenal by any stretch of imagination, but it was uh, considerably up from what Michigan was the week before for ratings. Um, Do you think that was a coincidence, or do you think road racing now is putting on pretty good shows and should we have more in the Sprint Cup Series? Do you think we should maybe put one in the chase? Uh, what were your thoughts on, on the whole racing aspect and, and maybe expanding here on road course racing uh, in, in the future? I think it has its place. I don't think it has a big place. I would, If they were to do anything, I wouldn't see them. If, if they were ever going to put a cup, uh, road course race in the chase, they would move Sonoma to the fall and put something else into this late June time frame. Um, it's okay. I like it. I mean, I like it more now than I used to because uh, when Stewart was running the 
Home Depot car, he was great. Whenever he's running the 14, he's been great on a road course. So being a Stewart fan, you sort of get a little more into the road courses because this is one where he had a shot legitimately to win every time they went out there. But I don't think it's – I mean, I'm not a big fan of it. If I really want to watch road course racing, I'll watch F1. Yeah. I think – it's talent to be able to go left and right and make those 11 turns. And like like Stewart said, there's 11 turns the last 15 laps. He missed three corners, so that's 165 turns, and he was 162 for 165. That takes a lot of talent. But I really don't – it doesn't impress me anything. I'd rather watch a road course than what I'm going to watch Saturday night. Because yeah. I think the over/under is probably 22 cars that end up piled up before the end of the race, but I don't think there's a big demand for a road course. I mean, there you always hear the people show up on Moody Show or the people show up on Morning Drive or blah blah blah, saying, "Oh yeah, we need more road course races." They're the same 12 people who call every month. You don't hear from the majority who are happy with only having the road courses there twice a year. Yeah, you're right on that. And um, you know, it, it to me, it does throw an interesting aspect into it because. And here's my here's my opinion on this. I think in this sport, we can get to back to a point where we used to have these finishes like we just saw on Sunday at Sonoma. We used to have them at short track races. We used to have them. I mean, everybody remembers the race at Darlington between Ricky Craven and Kurt Busch. We used to have them on a mile and a half tracks. We had good finishes. Um, and we don't see that much anymore. We're, I think we're starting to get the package a little bit better, but I still think there's work to be done. Um, and I, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to be satisfied with NASCAR until we see the competitive race we saw on Sunday on an oval track. I think that's what NASCAR is trying to gun for. I think that's what the, these fans want to see is short track racing. Um, and I think a lot of it's got to do, and we've talked about this for a million times, but a lot of it's got to do with the cars and how aero-sensitive they are. Um, so if we can get that out of it, I think it would help. But um, I'm not saying that we, you know, I think there's people out there who legit think we should run five road course races in, in the Sprint Cup Series. I'm, I'm not for that at all. I wouldn't be again against putting a Sonoma into the chase. I don't think that's a, a bad move. But, you know, what people have to understand about these racetracks and moving dates is it's a business. It's a big business between ISC and SMI, and then you got Dover Motorsports with Dover as well, um, and Pocono de Mattioli's. But really, the two, the big two, are SMI and ISC, and they're not going to switch around dates very easily. You're not going to see, you know, an ISC date give up a one of their chase dates for an SMI track, which is Sonoma, which what Boone Smith Smith owns. He's not going to get a date that you know. Uh, is in a chase that's owned by ISC. It's just not going to happen. There's too much money to be made there for ISC. So it really kind of handcuffs NASCAR there from that standpoint because let's be real here, the voting board at ISC is NASCAR. I mean, Lisa France, Kennedy's of France, and they they run the show at ISC. So um, they're not going to lose money by moving Sonoma into the chase for an ISC track, and that's what people have to keep in mind there. It's not as easy as moving into the chase. So I doubt we see it, but I wouldn't be totally against it. Um, but I don't, I don't think adding a road course is, is a great move there. If Speedway Motorsports is going to move a tr- move one of their races from the chase that's in there now, 
they're not putting Sonoma in. They're going to put Vegas in because Vegas seats twice as many people, mm-hmm. and Bruton's going to make more money by Vegas being in the chase than Sonoma being in the chase. So there's your dollars and cents. I mean, at the end of the day, like we've all said, whatever lines Bruton Smith's pockets or whatever lines the France family's pockets, that's who's going to be in the chase. The fact that Dover's kept a chase date all these years surprises me. And if their attendance doesn't start picking up, I could see Dover slowly but surely going down to one race. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, I think Dover, what helps Dover is the fact that they're in sort of the New York market. They get, they're closer to New York City. I think a lot of people are the Philadelphia market as well. They're really close to Philadelphia as well. So it's a big city there. Um, they get all those people coming down from New, from South Jersey to Dover. I go there. I live in North Jersey. I go to Dover a lot. So uh, I think that, that helps that you get a whole region that really uh, – Dover's a, a pretty entertaining race for the most part. But, uh, yeah, I think when you look at it from that standpoint, I think you look at it and you say that's part of the deal. Um, 907-889-8280 here to discuss anything you want to talk about here on Talking in Circles. Um, a little bit of news this week, today actually, it came out. Um, it was very interesting. Matt Kenseth, we know he's losing the uh, Dollar General at the end of the year. Today it was announced that DeWalt will expand their sponsorship on the number 20 Toyota Camry for next season. They're going to add four races to this season as well. They're going to be the majority sponsorship of the number 20 car next season, do 15 races. Uh, they're going to be associate. They're going to, DeWalt's going to sponsor some Xfinity Series races, so on and so forth. Um, but there's a lot of talk that Mobile One would go to Matt Kenseth. Uh, I don't know if that's happening right now with that, how many races DeWalt's doing, but what are your thoughts here on Joe Gibbs Racing, Matt Kenseth, announcing the DeWalt uh, sponsorship partnership extension here for the 2017 season and beyond? Well, if there's one thing DeWalt knows, they know Matt Kenseth, because they were his longtime sponsor over at Roush Fenway when he ran there. And what we talked about a little bit before we went on the air was how much Jack Roush asked for when it comes to sponsorship dollars, and he probably priced himself out of DeWalt still being there. And then they came back last year whenever Carl Edwards showed back up, I mean, came to uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, and they became a somewhat primary sponsor to go with Aris. But now they're like, okay, Kenseth has an opening. We had a great relationship with Matt Kenseth for 10 years over at Roush Fenway. He's been phenomenal with us as a brand. He's been a great spokesperson for us. Let's go back and end up doing it. And they're doing it for 15 races, which isn't the full season sponsorship they used to do when it came to Roush Fenway. But 15 seasons or 15 races a year that's a pretty penny. And like we, you said, the rumor about Mobile One, I see Mobile One staying with Stuart Haas and uh, doing some with Boyer, doing some with Harvick, doing some with Kurt Busch, probably scattering around the four cars and ending up with the same amount of races they had this year. The one, yeah. like we said earlier, whenever it all went down and Dollar General was walking away, Aaron's is still sitting out there. Mm-hmm. Aaron's is a pretty big sponsor. And you see Michael Waltrip ends up getting, like, Maxwell House or Peak Antifreeze or something like that to sponsor him when he does his one-offs. Why not go to those guys and say, hey, we've got a legit driver, not some guy who's a talking head and comes out and runs the super speedways and ends up wrecking somebody toward the end of the race. 
we got you a legit driver who is a championship contender. I think Joe Gibbs can go to one of those couple sponsors and say, here you go, we're going to put you on a championship car. Are you in? And it's not going to be some empty, it's not going to be a nature's bakery thing where it's some sponsor just coming into the sport. There's going to be somebody big sitting on there for the other 20 races with Matt Kenseth. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join the conversation, the interesting part about what you're saying about Mobile One is there's rumors, and these aren't confirmed. This is just rumors that Mobile One might not be thrilled. Could be sort of a team car, however you want to put it, with Shell Pennzoil and Joey Logano. I mean, they're not going to get Penske chassis. They're going to get Roush Yates engines as well. But they're going to share some information between those teams. There's no doubt about it because they're all in the Ford camp and manufactured teams. You know, if you're in the same manufacturer, you probably share a lot more information than you ever have before. So that was something to keep in mind, and we'll see what Mobile One does. Uh, you got Clint Boyer. We'll see if Five Hour Energy goes there as well. Which you know, there was rumors that uh, Five Hour Energy didn't want to be paired with with Monster Energy as well. So um, that's another thing I think you have to look at, where you say maybe uh, you know it, it'll, it'll all we'll all figure it out here. I think everybody's going to be able to race in 2017, but uh, it's kind of a funny deal that, um, you know, we, we just ha- we just don't know what's going on with sponsorships. Sponsors are so un- unpredictable, uh, unpredictable that you just never know. Um, 917-889-8280, if you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles. Brian France made headlines this Sunday. Uh, prior to the Sonoma race, uh, he was on with NASCAR race day, whatever you want to call it now, the previous show on NASCAR and Fox. Uh, he was with Chris Myers, and there was a lot of – there was some discussion. One of them was about weekday races, and France says he does not see that in the future. Um, and there's been a lot of talk. I mean, you think about, you know, we've seen in the truck series run some weekday races. Uh, the Bristol race uh, is usually run on a Wednesday night. Doors usually run during the week. Um and I don't know if we've ever discussed this topic with you, John Harlow, but uh, what, what would you be your opinion here on weekday races? Do you think there would be something uh, that would help the sport? Uh, and how would you go about that if you think it would help the sport? What are your thoughts on weekday races in the Spring Cup Series? I don't think it, it would. I think it would hurt attendance. I don't know what it would do for ratings, especially whenever they're packaging most everything on the – NBC Sports Network or Fox Sports 1. I don't really see how it's going to be a win for NASCAR. I don't see the seats being filled up. I see the one or two truck races a year being a nice little novelty. But I don't see NASCAR going to a midweek race. I could see possibly the all-star race going midweek at some point so they can have some primetime thing and get it off the weekend and see how they do. But whenever they ran the Daytona 500 that one year on a Monday night, they were prime time on Fox, and the ratings stunk. And it was in February during sweeps, so everybody else is putting their big programming out there. And NASCAR, it's just another race. It's one of 36. It wasn't. I mean, it was the Daytona 500, but it's one of 36. It wasn't like the day where CBS got the ultimate gift of the blizzard in, in on the Northeast and it was the first flag-to-flag coverage race in 79, and you had the fight in the backstretch and Petty winning the race. I mean, if there was a day where the 
the heavens opened up and said, okay, Ken Squire, we're going to give you a gift, it was that day. I don't see it happening on a weekday. I think the Eldora race and the Bristol truck race are cool to have midweek, but they're they're novelty races. They're not the ones that you set your calendar by. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there. The only way I would do it and uh, is what they used to do with the July Fourth race. I thought that was something that uh, you know. But you'd have to run it in the daytime. I think that was the only way it would go because if you put it at night on July Fourth, uh, I think you're going to lose ratings because people are going to want to lay out fireworks. You're going to have barbecues and whatnot, um, but, you know, I, I just don't see it. I agree with you. I don't see it happening either, but if I were to try it, I would try it with that July 4th race. Um, I, I don't I don't see the, the fascination of moving the All-Star race uh, to, a, to a night race on a weekday in May. I just don't see that happening. I don't think that would be good for it at all. Uh, but a couple of other things France talks about here quick. Um, the possibility of two potential major sponsors for this sport. Uh, France said, and, and what they mean by two, and this has been a rumor here for a while, that maybe we're going to see a uh, sponsor replace Sprint for the series, and then there'll be a sponsor for the chase. Um, and France said it's possible, but I think we have a lot of interest, and I would be surprised, but I've been surprised before. So it really dodged the question if you want to talk about that. But um, something that was something interesting to keep in mind as we move forward with the process of replacing Sprint. He said several companies here have uh, are here. We're here this weekend at Sonoma. A number of companies are taking a hard look. Um, he talked about road courses in the future. He said he would, in a chase, he would said he would be for it, but it's hard to get the schedule to match up, which is what we just discussed earlier. Uh, and then he talked about the, which is something that we've talked about before, the all-star race on a rotational basis. Uh, if they want to move it from track to track, France says maybe, and there's a lot of interest in that event, which I doubt, but he said Charlotte's been good to us, so we're going to keep, but we're always going to keep that open. And another thing to keep in mind there, again, that people don't talk about is the simple fact that um, Bruton Smith, you're going to get Bruton Smith's approval to move that race, and I doubt he would let that happen. So some interesting comments from the boss there, John Harlow. Uh, your thoughts real quick on, on those comments, uh, anything that stood out to you, anything that surprised you from Brian France? Um, I think the two-sponsor thing is a smokescreen because I really don't think NASCAR has one locked in at the money that they want. I think they've outpriced themselves, so there's a chance that that might be his version of being a smokescreen to try to play one off of the other or something. I think the road course, we talked about it, I think it can work in the chase, but it's not gonna, there's not going to be a third road course going into the series. I think that a lot of times Brian France just talks to talk. I don't really see a lot of um, overwhelming things that just say, okay, this is really going to benefit the sport when Brian France talks. A lot of times when Brian France talks on uh, NASCAR race day or whichever Fox pre-race show there is that day, I think a lot of it is a trial balloon. And Mike Helton and the smart guys are sitting back there saying, okay, that didn't work. Let's go and see what we can do next. I think a lot of it's a trial balloon when Brian France gets on TV or gets on the radio. <laughs> yeah. He, he didn't get, and honestly, you know, and I said this after it, to me those comments didn't give us much. And I don't know if it was intention, intentional to do that. I bet you, I mean, obviously it was. 
But I mean, I reward I give Fox credit for trying to get something out of him, but we didn't get much out of him, honestly. And um, you know, I, I guess that was expected going in. That's what kind of drives you nuts a little bit when you devote time to it to try and maybe pick up a little bit of information or, or learn something, and you just kind of get questions that are dodged. Uh, it's a little frustrating that way, but you know, some of it is contractual and they can't talk about it. And you get the other, you know, they can't really talk about a sponsor until it's signed, sealed, and delivered. And that's understandable, but others, you know, uh, it's just, it was very quick and short and to the point and kind of dodged, in my opinion. And I thought that was kind of uh, a tough deal as well. One more thing about NASCAR making rule changes, and I want to touch on this uh, before we move on. Uh, they updated uh, procedures for the Spring Cup Series race eligibility and new provisional starting guidelines for the races during the Chase NASCAR Spring Cup Chase. Um, starting with Saturday night's Coke Zero 400, uh, this Daytona will, will use current year owner points, and it will place the practice speeds for determining, excuse me, race eligibility and starting position in event adverse conditions prevent qualifying from taking place. So, we've seen in recent years, John, practice speeds have, um, you know, if we get one practice in, practice speeds determine the starting lineup, and before that, forever and ever, it was always owner points, and they're going to do that again here in the future. Uh, it's not going to be in effect this weekend at Daytona, but it'll be in effect next weekend at Kentucky. I thought it was kind of interesting that they made this move. I didn't think it was uh, much of an announcement. It really doesn't change much, but I wonder, John Harlow, if this is another Another little thing from the driver's council where drivers say, hey, listen, we don't get much practice time. We don't get much testing time. We're not out there trying to run, c- cut the fastest lap. We're out there trying to learn. It's kind of stupid to have um, practice speeds determine the, qual- the, the starting lineup. We'd rather go by points. And this way also helps make owner points a little bit more relevant because they were really, for the first half of the season, sort of irrelevant because it didn't really matter because we don't qualify our field by that anymore. Uh, so what were your thoughts uh, on that little change here? And there's another one that we're going to touch on a little bit later uh, after I get your, your point here, but um, what were your thoughts on the changing from uh, practice speeds to owner points in the event of a rain, rain out and qualifying? I think it makes it uh, better for the show. I think it's a lot better when you have – your drivers who are good up toward the front. I mean, you like, for example, we're at Daytona. Practice was rained out today. But if they went out there and got a full practice session in, there's a good shot Danica goes out there and runs a, gets a good draft lap. And if qualifying gets rained out tomorrow, Danica's on the pole. Or you get a – you get the David Reagans, you get the – Uh, Michael Annette, the ones who are normally your 30 to 35th place cars, they get a good lap whenever they draft together, and they're up on the front row, and it turns into chaos because they're not back where they're supposed to be. They should be up toward the front. I mean, they should be in the back, not up toward the front. And your drivers in the back or your front guys, and you got your comers and goers, and sometimes the goers don't know how to get out of the way of the comers, and it ends up being a hell of a pileup. So, I mean, yeah. I like it going owner points, 
that's the one thing your owner has pushed. Your car has earned that spot. For example, I mean, you look, Tony's nine points out of the chase when it comes to him, but that car's sitting 22nd in points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because the Wood Brothers, let's take the Wood Brothers, they don't have a charter. And um, a lot of the times if they, for example, let's say qual today, for example, we had practiced a little bit for the Spring Cup Series, but the Xfinity Series only had 29 cars out on the racetrack. And, they didn't, and a lot of teams, and I think there's 42 or 43 down this weekend, um, a lot of teams didn't get a time. So you kind of sit there, and they cut practice short. There was, it was supposed to be an hour, I believe, and it was cut down to about 35, 40 minutes. So there was teams who were ready to run but couldn't, just simply couldn't get out on the racetrack because the weather wasn't there. They count this as a practice session, and if they, you know, this weekend they told us, they sit there and they go, you know what, um, sorry, you didn't get practice speed, you're going home. That kind of is unfair. And if they did that in the Spring Cup Series, the Wood Brothers, let's say the Wood Brothers didn't get out there, and this is Ryan Blaney, a team that is very competitive every week and earns their spot. If they go home because they didn't get practice time and practice was cut short, and a team like, you know, that, that runs – once or twice a month gets in, or once or twice a year gets in because, and Ryan Blaney gets out because of simple qualifying was delayed and cut short. I think that's wrong. And, and I think NASCAR's kind of taken that little bit of a glitch in this system and fixed it. And another glitch they've kind of taken out, and it was something that when I heard this news, uh, I thought immediately when I heard that they were going to the chartering system, I thought it was interesting because they said, what if Ryan Blaney goes out and wins a race in and he's in the chase, and they say, you know what, um, we're going to take, if he missed the race, and he was a chase driver who wouldn't be able to race at Chicagoland because he blew, let's say he blew an engine in qualifying and somebody was down there, and he's a, a non-charter team, it would be very interesting to see how that would go about. And NASCAR's now put in a little bit of a glitch, fix the glitch there as well, where they kind of sat there and said, okay, uh, if you're a chase eligible driver, you automatically qualify for every chase race, non-charter or charter team. So that's another glitch they kind of fixed there in the system. Uh, but kind of interesting, I thought, John, that they announced it in, in the middle of the year. I don't think it's going to change much, but I just thought the timing was very interesting, and I always wonder where did this stuff come from, and I think that's where you have to ask again. I think this rule comes – this rule is the Ryan Blaney rule. He's the only one of the non-charter teams that's got a shot at making the chase. And the last thing they want is if the Wood Brothers get their car in the chase. It's bad enough that the Wood Brothers weren't able to get get themselves a charter, and Roger Penske didn't decide to buy a charter for them. They went out and they're doing it on their own. And Blaney has been competitive all year. He's in He's in striking distance to make sure he does make the chase on points. I That's the Ryan Blaney rule. They just didn't want to hose it up and say, okay, sorry, you made the chase, but because you don't have a charter and your engine blows, thanks for playing, drive carefully, there goes your shot at a chase. I mm-hmm. think this is the Blaney rule. It's going to work. There's nowhere else it's going to happen. It's sort of like the qualifying rule. It happens once, twice a year, Max. It's not a big deal. It's nothing that's earth-shattering. It's nothing that changes the landscape of NASCAR. 
It's just one of those little tweaks to the system to try to make it the right way to go. Agreed. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here on Talking Circles. Um, if you want to join the show, talk about anything you want to talk about this weekend at Daytona. You want to talk about last weekend at Sonoma, uh, which Tony Stewart went out and won a race, his first race in three years. And that brings the next question here, John. Um, there's a, several drivers out there. You know, I, I think a guy like Jim McMurray or Greg Biffle, who have won races in the past and haven't won a race in a long time. Um, and there's drivers out there like Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson who haven't won a race ever but are knocking on the door. They're very, very close. Um, just real quick, give a pick of who you think is the next driver to win who hasn't won yet uh, in the Spring Cup Series in 2016. My pick is going to be Ryan Blaney. I mean, Chase Elliott's been up there most of the year. Uh, Larson's been close. I think because the other two cars of Penske or of Team Penske are in the chase, I think Penske's showing some extra engineering over there toward the Wood Brothers to make sure try to get Blaney in there and make sure that the Ryan Blaney rule goes into effect. I think it would be I think he's the one that's gonna do it. If it's not him, it's Chase Elliott. If it's not Chase Elliott the wild card to me would be Newman somewhere like right. uh, Richmond at the last race last race before the chase. Yeah, he's another guy, Newman. I left him out. But he's a guy who's won a lot of races in the past. hasn't won in a while. Um, and RCR hasn't won in a while. And Austin Dillon earlier in the year was really knocking on the door. Now they've kind of taken a step back. And I'll say this about the 21 team here, John, and I like Blaney. I think he's a really good driver. We didn't see the consistency out of that car that we've seen from like the 24 and even the 42 in recent weeks. So uh, I'd be a little bit hesitant to pick Bellini, and that, me personally. Uh, I think they could definitely get it done and surprise it and, and kind of, you know, put together a really good race. But we haven't seen the consistency there yet from that team uh, week to week that would make me pick them as a favorite to win a race over a guy like Chase Elliott or Kyle Larson. Uh, so well, we haven't, I, seen, we haven't seen the consistency out of the 14 for the last three years, and he wound up winning this no. week. So, I mean, yeah. that's one of those things you look at it and you say, remember, this team ran 15 races last year, so they are in the process of building this up to a full-time team. They've run more races this year than they ran the entire season last year. They're still gelling. Jeremy Bullins and Ryan Blaney, their first time at some of these tracks together. That's part of why you don't see the uh, consistency that you would see out of a Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott, this is his first year with Alan Gustafson, but he ran right. the full-time Nationwide Series. Blaney never really did. He'd mm-hmm. have to share a ride with Logano and Keselowski, so Blaney doing this much, this well, with his lack of seat time coming up through the truck in the Xfinity Series is pretty impressive. It is all I agree, and I, I'm I'm not giving and taking credit away from that at all. But uh, another guy, you know, who he failed to mention there, John, and a guy who is an interesting figure this weekend is Dale Earnhardt Jr. because he's so good in the plate tracks. He's had so much success in the past. He's another guy there out there who has won in this year and could potentially win a race. Uh, it could be this weekend at Daytona. That team's dynamite on Daytona. He's a good driver at Daytona. So uh, it could be something very interesting to see. 917-889-8280. You want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles? Phone lines are wide open. Uh, another race this weekend, John, was the Driving for Lineman 200 at Gateway Motorsports. It was won by Christopher Bell driving for Kyle Busch Motorsports. 
Bell, a good young driver, won his second career race. His first career race came at Eldora. Um, a good race. I thought it was pretty competitive, but the race was, I guess you could say, overshadowed by what the uh, incident that happened between Spencer Gallagher and John West Townley. Uh, if you missed it, you know, they kind of got together earlier in a race. Apparently Gallagher wasn't very happy with Townley. Gallagher slammed Townley into the outside wall. And then a big brawl fight ensued where Townley took Gallagher to the ground. Punches were exchanged. Um, your thoughts on that whole situation at Gateway Motorsports Park, John, Harlow Week? You know, we were passionately debating this last weekend, and it's funny that that happened. Uh, we were talking about that a couple of weeks ago, and now this happens between Townley and Gallagher. Your thoughts there on that whole situation? Well, if there's anybody who is the king of buying a ride, it's John West Townley. And the fines that came out, I I thought it was so funny that this fight, dance, uh, bad WWE match made it to the press conference for Stewart afterwards. And he said he was going to eat... Zaxby's chicken all week because he finally saw somebody show some passion. And then he also wanted to see what the fine was so he could determine whether or not he was going to, because he said he had a lot of scores to settle, so he wanted to make sure it was economically solvent for him to be able to do it. Um, I thought it was, I mean, when you get out of the truck, I can see you pushing, shoving. You punch somebody, that's assault. I don't care how passionate you are, when you punch somebody, it's assault. And if you punch them wrong, you can kill them. I've seen it. So, I mean, I will never be one of those ones that say, I want to see people punch each other. Are they going to push and shove? I'm all fine with that. Are they going to talk crap to each other? I'm all fine with that. But whenever the clenched fist goes and somebody gets punched in the head, then I'm out. I do not want to see a fight. The one fight I liked seeing was 1979, but I was 13 and didn't know any better. But assault is assault. And, yeah, people get away with it on the hockey ranks. They get away with it when they go. But sooner or later, somebody, some mayor in some city is going to say, ooh, there's money to be had there. Let me arrest them for assault and get a settlement where they're paying for what could be something that the city needs because they're going to get fined because they're going to plea out of the assault charge to something where they get a big fine. So until they figure something out, they need to stop that crap. I thought it was a joke of a fight because, I mean, like they, they said at the end, it's like you could see them that – Spencer Gallagher just thought they were bear-hugging and pretending, and then all of a sudden Townley got a few shots in. Because, I mean, for like seven of the ten minutes of the fight, Spencer Gallagher is just sitting there being in a bear hug. Uh, Townley's attempt at a DDT was pretty impressive. But, I mean, if you do that on a paved track and they actually did it right and Gallagher's head goes face-first into the track, he could kill him. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's stupidity. There's a lot to take in here, and I said this last weekend, and I stand by this. I'm still for all this than taking somebody and slamming him to the wall, like we saw what Matt Kendrick did with Joey Logano, um, and slamming him to the outside wall as hard as they can because those are big machines. And, right, um, 
we could see somebody get killed from a, from punching somebody, but I think it's a lot more likely to get killed or hurt somebody or hurt some or hurt something, uh, even an innocent person, uh, when you take a car and you do what Matt Kenseth did at Martinsville. Um, so I think this is what we saw was a little bit better. And NASCAR reacted that way, John. They they came out and Steve O'Donnell came out on Monday and said something very similar where, hey, uh, you know, we like the passion and we'd rather have you kind of show it off the track than take it, do it with it on the track. And Townley got a $15,000 fine. Gallagher got a $12,500 fine. Um, so it, that was interesting to see that NASCAR reacted the way they did. Uh, but and I, I agree with Stewart too. Um, I think it was great to see passion. You know, I get on these guys all the time saying we don't really see the passion anymore that we used to, you know, uh, when I was a kid, I, I was on the edge of my seat watching Rusty Wallace and Dale Earnhardt at Bristol one year uh, face-to-face because it, Rusty was mad at him for an, a, an accident earlier on the, in the race. You know, that to me was passion. We've seen passion. You know, we used to see passion throughout the entire field. And I feel like nowadays, after the money is more substantial, we don't really see that anymore. So it was refreshing to see some passion out there. Uh, and I agree with Stuart on that on that front. We have a caller here, John. Um, What's your name? Where are you calling from? Thanks for joining the show. Um, my name is Lee. Hi, Lee. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about, Lee? Just a fight. You know, just a fight. Uh, I, I agree with, uh, you know, I agree with Harlow and probably more on this and just in the fact that, you know, that's not what I turn the TV on to watch when I'm watching racing. Uh, you know, I, I'm there to watch racing. I couldn't care less if guys get out of the car and punch somebody, but... I do also, you know, like Tony said, I do like seeing the passion from from John West Townley. But, uh, you know, I th- how much of that was was just the fact that he's had a really difficult season. You know, he seemed like he came, he lo- he lost the John Rex Weekly tag last season, and now all of a sudden he's gotten that back. They they made a crew chief change there. Whether or not Michael Shelton wanted to leave on his own or not is still to be questioned. But they made a crew chief change there because you know they haven't been running strong. And I think some of that also had to do with just frustration on Tommy's part right there anyway. And so, um, you know, to me, if that's the, what you're taking out on Spencer Gallagher, that's not good either if, it, if it's not just that I, about that isolated incident. But but also, these guys aren't multiple aggressors. They haven't gotten into many fights in their careers where if John West Townley gets out of the car in a couple of weeks after he wrecks it again uh, and punches somebody in the face, then you're going to have an issue. So... Um, if, as long as they, they nip it in the butt and it doesn't happen, you know, again, I think I think that's a, that's all they can do at this point. And I'm going to come in on your second point here before I send it to John Harlow quick. Uh, I agree to to the extent of these guys, you know, I think it was a very passionate in, incident, no doubt about it. And it was something that, um, you know, we don't see much from these guys. And I, I agree with you on that. Uh, and I think they deserve some leeway there as well. And I agree with your first point where you said, uh, I don't turn on the TV to watch fights. Neither do I. But uh, John Harlow, I don't turn on the the TV to watch cars uh, be a demolition derby and slam somebody into the outside wall either. I don't turn on the TV to watch that either. Oh no! And I, I mean, when Kenseth did it, it was wrong the way he did it. If he would have done a tap and go. That's one thing, and caused Logano to lose 15 spots and covered it up some. If you look at the way Denny tapped Stewart going into turn seven, if Kenseth did that to Logano, 
at Martinsville. Logano drops back to 15th, 20th place, and he still doesn't make the chase because he tapped him, knocked him out of the way, and everybody went through. That's what he should have done. He shouldn't have plowed him into the wall. He probably felt a lot better about it, but he shouldn't have done it. And NASCAR showed that he shouldn't have done it because he was parked for two races. I think there's no room for the fighting. It needs to stop. I can see pushing, shoving, arguing, all that stuff. The funny part is when you get the crew guys involved, it's almost like a baseball fight where they're, most of the fight is actually people pulling each other out of the way to look like they're doing something. Agreed, John. I was sorry there. I had a little bit of a malfunction, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think um, it, it's something to, you know, I, I don't like to see it a lot, but I don't have a problem with it every now and then. I really don't. And and um, and that's my point to this, where I like to see the passion, but I don't want to see this every week where we're seeing fights, you know, uh, <coughs> and the pick crew guys are in it. I, I just, but if we see this once, I don't think these guys should get slammed for it. I don't think they should be suspended for it. And I think NASCAR, for once, finally the penalty fits the crime here. Uh, that's my personal opinion. I don't think we should have seen suspensions, so I think it was the right move on that standpoint. Uh, Lee, is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, there were two things that were brought up today that you know um, I thought were pretty interesting, and one of them, um, well, I'm going to bring both of them up about the drivers, the, the drivers' councils meeting tonight, and two of the things that they were discussing. One of them has to do with overcrowding um, during pre-race ceremonies, and I'll talk about that after this one. But the other one is. They wanted to talk about being able to get out of the, especially these restrictor plate races, in two days, where I, I believe Denny Hamlin was the one that, that, brought, that was going to bring this up, saying, you know, we don't need to be here Thursday, Friday, Saturday for, for a race in Daytona. We need to be down here. We can get everything done on Friday and then Saturday and, you know, be out of here in two days. And, you know, I think, it's, I think that's a good point, and especially on the Xfinity side, where we've seen them drag it out sometimes two sometimes even three days when they could really just do all their practice and qualifying and racing in one day, and that would save these Xfinity Series teams a lot of money. It all makes sense, and, and you wonder why they don't do this, but the reason is it's much easier to sell a camping plot to an infield fan for four days rather than just two. And as, right. long, as, the owner, as long as the NASCAR owners, the people, as long as the guy running the sport is on the board of directors at ISC, that's not going to change. You're right on that, and that's and that's a very good point, John Harlow. When you when you look at it, the one thing that, especially where Denny is right about this one, where they could have done Friday, Saturday for the race this week, they were down here for Thursday. They're practicing Thursday afternoon. The race is Saturday night. What is going <laughs> to translate from running Thursday afternoon to Saturday night? And, the, and they don't do anything correct. on Saturday, John. They don't do anything before the race on Saturday. You sit there literally all day Saturday, and they do nothing on Saturday. They could qualify the cars Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning, even if they wanted to, before the race on Saturday night. They don't do anything at the racetrack Saturday, racing-wise, before the cup race on Saturday on Saturday night. That is correctly. Um, the one thing when it comes to that, though, they don't want to take the chance of tearing up their car the day of the race where they don't have time to put the sec- put the effort into the second. A lot of times they close it off the, the night before, and they can they can rebuild the 
the back, get the backup car to somewhat of where the front car is. But I think if they do it the day of, it would be cool. I'd actually love to see them do the Xfinity race at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday and the Cup race at 7 o'clock That's Saturday night. I agree. And I think I've always said, John, too, and this is getting into another debate. I'm changing the topic here. But uh, back in the day, and I hate to use that term, but we used to see NASCAR Sprint Cup Series final practice after the Xfinity Series race. Now we see before, but we used to see it after the Xfinity Series race. When all the rubber was laid down on the track, they give them an hour after the Xfinity Series race. I would like to see that happen as well. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's something we're going to see, but uh, something to keep an eye on. It's a very interesting topic. I agree. I think we need to consolidate these races, get these teams. You know, what people forget is, like, you know, for example, they're down in Daytona this weekend. They've got to rent hotel rooms for Thursday night, Friday night, and Friday night, where if they came in on a Friday, they don't have to rent hotel rooms for every team member on Friday night, and then Saturday they run the race, and they go home, and they don't have to worry about a hotel room for the next day. So that saves all that money to the race team. That's a, that's a big point. And what's proving you is Mother Nature because they rained out today. They didn't hardly got anything in. I think they got part of an Xfinity Series practice and, and nothing else. And tomorrow and Saturday now, they're restructuring their schedule, opening the garages at 830 in the morning. They could have done that to begin with. You know, yep. if you can get all of that in on a Friday, you could, get, you know, you could certainly get it all in with – if you have to get all of that in with a rain on, Friday, on Thursday, you can certainly do that just as a regular schedule anyway. So, you know, to me, it, it they can do it. But you know what? They were – it, like I said, it's all about selling those infield plots. And the other thing about overcrowding before the race, you can do that all you want. Those track owners also want those people in the infield, the whatever concert, whoever that musician is that's selling the you know 500 tickets, whoever buys it to see their horrible pre-race concerts sometimes that they have there, um, or whoever is there singing, singing a terrible national anthem. They want those fans to see that. And so um, that's another thing that I don't see ending because these track owners have that much power. Yeah, well, not just track lead. owners having that much power. I think part of what Denny and, and the Drivers' Council was complaining about was so many people on pit road, not in the infield part of it. And I think a lot of that's because the teams get how many hot passes where whenever they're bringing in a potential sponsor, they'll walk around with 15, 20 people trying to wine and dine them to get their next sponsorship in there. So I think part of it is team-driven. Because so, they're trying to get sponsorships. There's more team people wandering around the infield than there are fans and reporters. And I think we forget sometimes in in this sport, uh, and not us as fans, but maybe us as fans, but even people running the sport, this is a place of business for a lot of people. And I know if I was going to be strapping into a race car for 500 miles or 200 miles an hour, and I had to walk through a crowd that was of, you know, a million people wanted to get my autographs and stuff like that, like right before I strapped into a race car. That would annoy, that would annoy me, distract me, drive me crazy. Where I want to be completely focused 100% on the race. I want to have that spot where I can go, talk to my crew chiefs, talk to my team members before the race, and kind of break it down and say, here's what's going on. So um, it's a good point. It's something that um, I, I think we might, you know, the driver's council gets stuff done, and I think we might see, like, a, a designated area for the team, so it's something very interesting to keep an eye on. We're going to lose our live audience here in 44 seconds. So if you want to listen to the rest of the show, go to our Facebook page and our Twitter page, and our links will be there for the show. But uh, I want to continue this topic here because it's a very interesting one um, and, and finish off what Lee has to say. Lee, anything else you want to talk about? Um, I think it's going to be an exciting race this week. I'm pumped up to see it. 
What I really want to see is, like you guys were talking about very early in the show, where if we do have, you know, we get close to 15 and 16 winners, those guys who are going to be, uh, you know, trying to make it on points. I think, and, and, you know, I think you brought this up maybe last week, this is a huge week for Dale Earnhardt Jr. And, you, you know, anybody can say, oh, well, he's at Hendrick Fuller Sports, blah, 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 blah. I think it's a huge week where if he crashes out, he got lucky as, as, as hell at Sonoma because he didn't have a good run. But most of the guys around him in points also had didn't didn't have good runs and had mainly had worse runs than he did. But you know that may not happen at Daytona, where if he crashes, those guys who were around him in points may also may have a very good shot at finishing way up in the front. And if they do that and he has a DNF like that, boy, that could really ruin his season because if they get another couple of winners here, he's going to have to finish in the top four or five in, in points that uh, amongst the drivers who haven't won yet. And another DNF could really hamper that. And uh, you know hurt his chances of doing it. Yeah, it's it's going to be uh, – Dale Jr. is an interesting topic because they haven't run great recently. Um, we've seen some splashes of brilliance like at Pocono, but they haven't really put – the beginning of the year they ran pretty consistently, but since about um, Martinsville, it just seems like this team has been kind of very inconsistent. So another interesting week, Daytona, they run, like I said, they've wrecked on both play tracks, which is very uncharacteristic for Dale Jr. at these play tracks. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting weekend, John Harlow, for Dan- Dale Jr. and everybody else between really 12th uh, and, and 18th in points because if we get close to 15 winners, which I think it could be a little bit of a possibility, you got Almondinger who could win it at, uh, at Watkins Glen. you got Chase Elliott, Silver Warriors. We talked about those two guys, Elliott and Marson and even Ryan Blaney. So it's going to be interesting to see what goes on here moving forward. I think there's a very good shot we have 16 or 16-plus 16 winners. And I think Junior buried Amelia. She's hanging in a tree out there at the property because it's now in the graveyard. So we'll see what happens with the next generation of Hendrick restrictor plate cars. It's a brand-new cars. Greg Ives and the team built. So we'll see what Junior has in store for him. The one thing that people don't look at as much for, like, everybody keeps going, well, Junior's got this, and Junior's great restrictor plate racer. Who's the active driver with the most wins at Daytona? Stewart. Is that right? Nobody's come close to him. He's got <laughs> more 400 wins than anybody. He's won more 125s or 150s. He's won more Xfinity races. He actually I-Rock. won at the road course and the and the speedway in the IROC car. Stewart gets around Daytona better than anybody else. But all you hear is Junior. Yeah. I mean... Don't don't well, sleep on smoke, especially with momentum. It'd be wild to see that back to back weeks. Um, and and you brought up a great point um, about Amelia. You know, that car was built by uh, Steve People Forget that. And this is the first Speedway car Dylan Hart Jr. is going to have under Greg Ives. So we'll see if uh, the engineering everything's the same with these race cars. And that car's as dominant as Amelia once was uh, prior to this season. Um, but, Lee, anything else you want to touch on before I let you go? No, I think you guys are doing a great job, though, and I really appreciate you letting me chime in here for a minute. Lee, you're a great call every week, and uh, call back every week. You've been phenomenal for us. Thanks again for calling the show. Uh, that was Lee from Virginia. He's great call every week, John Harlow. And um, real quick, um, if you could pick a winner for this race, I know there's probably 30, 25, 30 guys, drivers, I should say, who have a chance to win this race, but give me – Real quick, who's going to victory lane in the Coke Zero 400 at Daytona? I'm going on a limb, Ryan Blaney. Oh, wow, okay. 
Um, I'm going to say back-to-back Daytona points races for Denny Hamlin. Hamlin's a great plate racer. Um, we've seen drivers, and, and I don't know that's not as fun because, you know, I would like to say, hey, Eric, on the roll, I would like to say all those guys, but, you know, that happens very rarely that these guys, those guys win races. So um, it's going to be interesting to see if any of those guys, and I, a guy I always say is Casey Mears, Landon Castle runs really, really good on the play tracks. It would be great to see those guys up there, but they haven't won there yet, and they haven't won there yet for a reason because they're going against better teams with stronger horsepower. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to the show tonight. I want to thank Lee from Virginia for the call. I want to thank John Harlow, great co-host as well. We'll be back here again next week after the Coke Zero 400 at Daytona International Speedway. Thanks for listening to Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody. <laughs>